0: Iowa everywhere. Hello, everybody. Sage Rosenfels here with the Sage Rosenfels Experience. Today I have on a good old friend, Dave Anderson. Dave and I were teammates, Houston Texans, 2006, seven, and eight. Uh, he had about a six uh, or seven year NFL career. Uh, currently works with Breakaway Data, where they do all sorts of data for uh, for NFL players, uh, uh, NBA players, uh, college athletes, uh, super interesting. We, we talk about his NFL career, the Houston Texans, of course, working with Kyle Shanahan, uh, working with all the coaches on that staff and, and what it's like to be a, a slot receiver, uh, playing in the league. So I think it's a great listen. I uh, really appreciate you guys, uh, uh coming on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sage Rose uh, Experience on the Iowa Everywhere podcast. Today, I've got a special guest. And as you've known so far, my podcasts are really just a mix of people that I've met along the way. Uh, Some old teammates, uh, maybe old coaches, media people, uh, people in my NFL career and after my NFL career. And today I've got a special guest. He and I were teammates 2006, uh, the year he was drafted. Uh, I was in my sixth year uh, in the NFL, uh Houston Texans, my first year in Houston. Of course, his first year in the NFL. So we're sort of rookies together, uh new franchise, new city. Uh David Anderson is my guest. David, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Sage. I uh, I lo- I've looked
1: I've been looking forward to this conversation. You and I always have a good 30, 40, 40, maybe we might be able to push this to an hour, but I think at yeah. least a solid thirty
0: you have no idea how long this could be billy corbin's interview went for two hours uh and it probably could have gone for longer i actually had lunch with him uh about a month ago and it went for three and a half hours our lunch (laughs) and you know how much i like to talk so imagine just sitting there for three hours listening to a guy ramble maybe you'll meet meet him someday in in some uh, but um i'm gonna get people to know david david you uh grew up in the in the struggle the struggle of Westlake, California, which I have been to. I, I believe Westlake's fairly nice, not, not a bad place to grow up. Uh, from there, uh, you went to Colorado State. You had offers from other schools, uh, academically, some really good schools in there. It looks like UCLA, Northwestern, Stanford, uh, teams that were really interested in bringing you in. But Colorado State uh, was your school. Talk to me about going to CSU, being a CSU Ram. Uh, as an Iowa State guy, I always had this like kindred spirit with Colorado yeah. State because it's engineering, there's ag, and, but they're yeah. next to the mountains and we're in and Iowa State was not, and so it was this sort of uh, obviously Colorado version of Iowa State. What was it like uh, being a CSU Ram?
1: So I, I actually did not, I wish I had offers. Stanford and UCLA were the top two on my list. They wanted me to gray shirt, so they wanted me to come in. I don't know if people do that anymore. They actually get held back in junior year of high school and, and then go early. But gray shirt was show up a year uh, after um, for the next class. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Um, I was like, you know, in, in consideration for the Ivies, uh, had some opportunities. They, they don't give scholarships. So if you want to go to Princeton, Harvard and whatnot, your parents got to expose their tax, rec- re- tax records and God, God bless and God rest my dad's soul. But uh, he lived in Guam and was not interested in uh, exposing tax records. That's why he was in Guam um but the uh the uh it came down to colorado state there's a bunch of other mountain west schools that recruit me at the time utah but like i didn't know anything utah wasn't any good back then um and northwestern was the one that i think colorado state thought i was going to go to as well in hindsight probably should have considered northwestern but i didn't really know anything about northwestern other than they were the worst team in the conference and they were getting stomped on every year and i didn't want to be a part of that so Colorado State was dominating Thursday night football. They had this exciting player, Bradley Van Pelt, Fear of the Mullet. BvP. Uh, BvP was a runaround. We had Cecil Sat. We had, you know, they were talking about, you know, they on average put about five to six NFL guys out a year. Um, and I fell in love with Sonny Lubick, the head coach on my trip. Um n- another fun fact, I was one of two athletes in the history of Sonny Lubick's tenure that trip to Colorado state without their parents. So I didn't know this. Normally people trip with their parents to colleges. Yeah. My bro- older brother was like, don't bring mom, go by yourself. So I went by myself. The only other person uh, I think that tripped by themselves was Bradley Van Pelt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that. I think that goes, uh, that was kind of a funny fact, but I tripped out there, fell in love with the city, the team, kind of their their thesis on ball. They play, they had really good coaches, really good position coaches. Um, and I was evident, evident as soon as he showed up and uh, committed um, right there, all, all, probably on the tarmac on the way home, I think is where they uh, c- continue to pressure you, you know how it goes. And, and I was a ram.
0: Sonny Lubick was there for a long time. Yeah. Uh, tons of wins, ton of stability there. Um, how was his sort of philosophy maybe different than what you felt like some of your other teammates had I mean, when you get the NFL and you talk about your college coaches, you probably had a view of, okay, this is what my college coach is. What, what was yeah. he like compared to maybe what you heard from some other stories of some other players?
1: You know, he was older. Right. So like, I, I, I certainly, um, could, uh, um, uh, the Bobby Bowden's of the world, the Joe Paternos of the world, the Sonny Lubick's, um, who else was kind of like the older, the older crowd, you know, at that time? I don't remember, but like th- those guys who played at those schools, we certainly had a, a similar type of uh, atmosphere around, and it was it was patient, it was um, uh, methodical. Um, th- th- there wasn't any uh, panic. Everyone, you know, and that, that 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 showed up on the sideline, fourth quarter. Two minutes ago there's no panic on anyone on the sideline everyone was very confident calm they'd been there before they'd be, they'd experienced this situation no matter how random we as players we thought it was it was something they had seen talked about and addressed that gave you a real uh, that gave me a confidence that kind of lasted throughout my career in, in the NFL for, for sure um we need to get into that Brian Perriani story eventually but um the uh um th- that experience uh I, I truly um truly cherish. I still talk to coach Lubick, uh, you know, probably once every couple months. Um, he's still kind of like chancellor emeritus around there They named the field after him. He works for the business school now and just raises money. He goes to like a dinner, shakes a hand, kisses a baby and raises a hundred grand for the business school and the football program does that type of stuff. But I mean, it was, uh, it, it, certainly taught me the most about football. I'll I'll tell you one thing though, like, and I think this is where Iowa State and Colorado State are similar. It was like, we were constantly getting poached for coaches. Yeah. Like our special team coach went to the NFL, our defense coordinator went to UCLA, our offense coordinator went to the NFL, our offensive line coach went to the NFL, our receiver coach went to Arizona State, like, and they would fill in and there was another guy that was great, but like, man, that's, that's tough when you're like, oh, we have a great coach. And then he goes to UCLA, and you get you
0: know you get another guy. Then it just shows it shows the power of Sonny Lubick to consistently, and he couldn't really do much about it. And, and Iowa State sometimes is in, in that same role where there are other schools who have deeper pockets, and if you yeah. have talent, and and that used to be coaches, now it's players too. Yeah, players, so players. Hey, we got a great freshmen in, and an SEC school wants to come in and bring a whole bunch of money that we can't match. Yeah, SEC has always been that same. Uh, uh, sort of both that same challenge. But I, th- I always felt like the uh, it, it creates a little bit of an underdog mentality. Oh, for sure, um, for sure. To, you know, we're, we're sort of, in a sense, the have-nots compared to the Texas and the Alabamas and, and those schools. And I always thought that the guys that were like us uh, from that school that's just below the top, um, th- there's, there's a work ethic, there's a determination, there's a grit that those guys- Well, feels different. More-
1: it just feels different. You know what I mean? And like, I I think that was always one of my favorite things about the sport. It was that like basketball, all these guys end up at the same AAU teams and the same tournaments they are all in the Nike thing. They get the same gear. They get the same stuff. Yeah. They might go to a slightly different school, but like you look at the NBA, those guys have played against each other for years and years and years college. I've never even heard of some of these guys that we had on the Texans, but they're all Americans from this school. they, jacoby jones from lane college and you got chester pitts who played the flute for you know i'm saying you don't like the oboe. yeah yeah the whatever the hell that thing was uh like what and uh but you're just like oh you're a freak and you're good at football and, and welcome to the team let's let's make it happen And i always appreciate that aspect.
0: so in 2006 i'm a free agent uh leaving the dolphins uh really for whoever's gonna offer me the most money you know how that goes you have your rookie contract of Four might have been basically five years. Uh, send a one-year extension. And now I'm okay, I, I played some, I played pretty well. Hopefully, I have some opportunities here. The Texans come calling, offer me the most money. I go to Houston. They're two and 14 the year before. Gary Kubiak's in his first year, the head coach. You know, I'm literally taking money to go to the worst team. It was, it was, it was not like uh uh, you know, a Tom Brady time where the guys at the end of the career have made hundreds of millions of dollars who are like gonna choose a team that gives them the best chance to win a Super Bowl. I was going for Houston for for really one reason. Now going there, there you, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I found this yesterday. That for reference, look at those microwaves he has on his ears. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, but before going there, I actually talked to Brian Greasy, and I he sort of said like, you know, Texans are are one of the teams that are in the mix, and he couldn't speak more highly. Of Gary Kubiak, yeah, uh, he had just had him for years in Denver. Uh, I was with my with uh, with uh, Brian a couple of years prior in, in Miami for one year, and he just spoke these so so higher uh, so high of him. Now, when we all got there, then you get drafted. But when we got there, there was this interesting Colorado State, Houston Texans connection. We had multiple players on the team, and in my three mm-hmm. years there, we had Bradley Van Pelt, we had Cecil Sapp we had a couple other a uh, uh, mike brisell biscuit one of our favorite teammates um, uh, uh, yeah we we had a mix of guys that were came from that. also gary kubiak's son i believe was like playing safety at, yep. at CBSU. He was so, a freshman when i
1: was a senior
0: yeah so so obviously you know gary really respected you know a, 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 an nfl coordinator head coach position coach they're not going to send their kid to a school, they don't believe that the head coach is going to teach them not just about football, but about good values and yeah. life, and just have a good experience. And so, we had this, you know, interesting uh, uh, rookie year. By the way, you left Colorado State as the all-time leading receiver in CSU Yards and touchdowns. Unfortunately,
1: we are
0: broken now, but yes, we're broken. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, and you were drafted 251. Now, Brock Purdy had said 262 this year. He was Mr. Irrelevant, which means you were you were close to Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, I think
1: 257 was irrelevant that year.
0: Okay, so you were right down at the bottom. Before we get into uh, your Texans career, talk me about, did you want to get drafted at the end there? Oh, yeah. or did you almost want to be a free agent so you had a choice? You wanted to be drafted. How come? Yeah,
1: I mean, I, okay, so like I did everything I could in college in terms of like I don't think I left anything out there when people are like, did you have a bad game? There was a game where I didn't have a, ke- a catch against Wyoming. But if you put on that film, I was murdering guys and blocking. I had like four crackback blocks. I had a – you know, we used to call those like a T-pull uh, like t- where the guy come around. I was in motion. I came around and cleared out a will linebacker and stuff. I was like – w- I was definitely affecting the game. And so, uh, like, I, I thought – for what I was asked to do at Colorado State, I don't know how much better I could, have, I could yeah. have done. I was pretty proud of my college career. Of course, there was like a ball here or there that I could have caught or dropped or whatnot. But in terms of like what I put on film, I was pretty proud of. And then I went to the All-Star Games. I played against some of the guys that were ahead of me. The one guy that stood out was Greg Jennings. So I played at the East-West Shrine game. And I remember practicing and I'm, I'm, me being like, I'm better than all these guys. Like, I'm better than all these receivers. And then Greg Jennings had this play in the red zone. I think, like, he he ran, like, a like an over, and he was supposed to run the back line to the end zone, but he got kind of stuck, and he, like, moved, swam this guy and jumped over the guy in front of him caught it. And I was like, oh, that was very elegant. I can't do that. <laughs> uh, I cannot do that. Uh, and um, I was like, I would have muscled my way and tried to get a PI there. Is Like, I remember thinking in my head what I would have done. Um, and so I didn't see any of the guys at the Senior Bowl, but I knew that like there was like two or three other guys that I had played against at Colorado State there in the Senior Bowl. And I was like, I'm better than them. So in my head, and I think everyone thinks in their head, college is just like the NFL and they're drafting college players for the NFL. They're not. They're drafting NFL players. Like these guys, and, and that took me probably till year four in the NFL to really realize why certain guys got drafted and certain guys didn't. Like I'm a 5'10 at that time there was no such thing as a slot wide receiver. It was just a receiver. And, uh, they didn't know if you played in the slot or not. Of course I did a, a ton in college, but that wasn't the label. You were just a receiver. And, um, you know, they were, I remember reading my scouting report and they're like, the worry was that I had hit my upside that there, I was not going to get any better. And, um, hindsight, like, I was like, oh, I should be drafted in the third or fourth round at worst because I'm better than all these guys in front of me, but the, uh, are better than the guys that, uh, that are ranked higher than me. But truth is, they had more upside, more people thought given the opportunity they might be a better NFL player, and they didn't think that about me. And so I ended up dropping, yeah, four, five, six. And then I remember Kubiak at the combine. It didn't hit me until I got the phone call from Houston, um, but I ran my 40. And Coach Kubiak says, Hey, if you're available in one of our last two picks, we're going to pick you up. And I was like, Yeah, sure, whatever. Like, that's what you tell all the girls, uh, because you know, that's I assume that yeah, that's yeah. what you're that, still here like, at 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> parking lot coach Kubiak was parking lot pimping me, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was, uh, I was like, Okay, uh, sure. And then I got a phone call from uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, saying, Hey, we're going to draft you. Here's Coach Kubiak, Coach Kubiak, um. Because Kyle interviewed me at the combine, I was his first interview ever. Uh, he like openly admitted, "I've yet you're my first interview. I've never spoken to anyone. I thought you'd be a great icebreaker because you went to Colorado State. My best friend Pete Redstock, went to Colorado State. I was like, whatever." Uh, and then, so Kubiak drafts me in the seventh round, pick two fifty one, and that was a long day. So back then, it was only two days. Yeah. Um. Uh. First day goes by. I'm like, okay. Still got rounds four through seven
0: here. I, I believe it was Saturday. So probably same as me. Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Draft started at noon, on both no, noon, noon Central Time. Yeah. Uh. No, both I mean, yeah, noon, yeah. And so that, and it would, and it went till say Saturday went till ten o'clock at night or nine o'clock yeah. at night, and then. Sunday, Saturday, five, like 10 a.m., and then i not getting like, much sleep. All the yeah. variables and all the situations yeah. Drunk. you're going through your mind, you're looking at teams, you're looking who was drafted, you're yeah, you're, you're, you're counting dollars lost, yeah, like with every pick because oh, you know, you're
1: and you're like, Who the fuck is that guy? Why yeah. are we talking this bum? And uh, you know, I said that pff, what, really, what really was hard was was hard for me though was. I knew right away I was going to get pushed back because the first receiver taken was Chad Jackson out of Florida. Mm. Um, it's funny. You ask any guy, that's after NFL, day. Day. like basically every player taken in front of them and I could do the same thing. It was Chad Jackson was, or it was Santaniel Holmes and Chad Jackson were taken boom, boom, back to back Steelers uh, Patriots. And that was at the back end of the first round, and everyone then had projected them top ten, top fifteen picks. So now they're all the way at the end of the round. So now everyone goes back, um, unless someone starts drafting, unless they think that all these receivers are going to get taken. But basically, I thought I was going to be a fifth rounder. So I mean, knew immediately when those guys are out of the, fr- uh, you know, not in the first round, that now I'm a sixth rounder, maybe seven.
0: Yeah, talking about so you get to, you get to Houston. You get yeah. to Kubiak and and we'll talk about Kubiak here in a second. But talk to me about that position coach, Kyle Shanahan. Talk to me about yeah. him at the time. He's, I believe about twenty-seven, He's six, 28, seven, 28 or twenty-nine. Uh at the time. And he had played receiver in college yeah. in Texas. Uh-huh. Um, so you had a, a receiver's coach who had played receiver, that does help, and believe me. There's many coaches who are coaching positions in the NFL that definitely did not play that position. That's a whole other sure. conversation. But well, you had a guy who played receiver, wasn't a big guy, sort of scrawny, skinny Kyle. Yeah. Um, talking about having him first impressions and then at least for that first year because he moved the quarterback's coach in year two in 2007. Yeah. Uh, talking about that first year uh, with him and, and those first experiences with Kyle Shanahan. So when you – Life happens pretty fast after you get drafted, in that, like, you
1: get drafted. What is it, like, April something? Uh, I think it's now late March or April. Back then, I think it was early April. Now it's
0: more like early May, before it was more like late April.
1: All right, so yeah. And then, yeah. and then, so because the Texans had a new coach, they were allowed to practice earlier. So, like, for. For the first time in your football career, like you are, uh, you are like jumping into a situation that's already going right like like you show up in college at training camp and like everyone had just had summer break and it wasn't like you're in the middle of practice and stuff like that, like you show up after you get drafted and you who had you know signed as a free agent had already gone through what like 15 days of uh spring ball or whatever the fuck otas or whatever you want to call well, it
0: well yeah you, you the free agency starts like basically march 1st and so yeah not long after that maybe a week or two i'm i'm going to houston every week for five days monday like, day to thursday,
1: thursday or whatever it is and you're practicing you're getting reps and you guys are building this bond and so then all of a sudden you, the seven drafted rookies and the 10 undrafted free agents show up, like 15 of us, something like that, right? Show up, and then they throw us in a room and they're like, okay, here's day one install. Mind you, uh, we're going to do some day one install, but the guys who have been here are going to do more advanced stuff, and then you'll slowly kind of work into that because you guys already done day one install. And so, like, you're
0: women. So, yeah, so, so, yeah, when you show up, just so you know, you didn't just show up that we had been there for, you know, six weeks or two months already uh, working out. Meetings and then probably some practices. By the time you show up, yeah, um, it was that I had five years before that. Oh well, yeah, know the cool. team. Oh, but you yeah. I had this process down yeah. that I knew I was going to yeah. go through, new team or not. And I'm yeah. already had you, uh yeah. and all that. That's how it is for all the because you you jump into this. Uh, uh, the 405, and you're right in the middle, and this thing has been going on, and it's yeah. going to continue to go on while you're, and you're just going to be on it for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then someday you get kicked off and it just keeps going, but you uh-huh. get thrown into this thing where everybody knows what the heck is going on, and you have no idea. No idea. You don't know where the bathroom is. You don't yeah. know how to get from the locker room, the train room, to the lunch room, and where am I going, and who is this person, and who is this person, and got to get someone in accounting and there's all these things going on and you don't, and you're just trying to like learn your playbook to run the right route.
1: There's way more people in terms of like, you're right. There's uh there's now, you know, that you're meeting the nutritionist. You're meeting the, the six equipment managers who are like asking Mario Williams, what socks he prefers. But the seventh round pick, it's like, this is what you get and you're like, <laughs> And they're like, these shoes are a size too big. And they're like, oh, that's what your equipment manager said. And you're like, well, I can't, it's my first NFL practice. I can't wear 11s. I wear 12 and you sit in this long line waiting for stuff like that. So it feels like, yeah, it's your got scratches on it.
0: Cause they're like, well, we yeah, like-, We're like, like, yeah, you're not going to be
1: around. here that long, but here's some used gloves and uh, this should be washed these, sh- these socks for you. So good luck. And uh, so you like, you definitely are like thrown in the deep end. Um, you you got to quickly figure it out. I um, I understand football really well in terms of positioning the geometry and, and where people are supposed to be. So Kyle picked that up within the first day that he was teaching me Z, uh, which is the strong side, typically the strong side receiver. And then in the first day, we didn't have an X. And so I went and did X. And he's like, do you know X too? I was like, well, it's just the opposite of Z pretty much. And he's like, or sometimes it's mirrored. He's like, cool. And then by the end of, by the end of rookie minicamp, I knew X Z. Uh, well, that time, it was Zebra and Y, so I could do all four, so it allowed me to get on the field a lot more. Get into you know, so get reps with guys like you, uh, get promoted off rookie and get kind of reps in with the to
0: talk to you about <laughs> that. By the way, Con- I always call like conceptual thinking, yeah. Some players I played with, uh, some receivers, sometimes it was running backs, um. But just players in general. But yeah, receivers and running backs. Some were just like you. you. You see a play, and you see what the quarterback is trying to do, and you're seeing like, okay, I can see it. over here's a cover two beater, and over here's a cover three beater, a man to man beater, and you can sort of see that, and you can put yeah. sort of those pu- pieces of the puzzle together. And then there are some guys who, like, you, it feels like you have to put them at one position, and they get to have like six routes. Yeah, and, and you can't move them around much. You can't shift them much. They Talk to me about uh, what you learned from that um, over the course of your career. There's those two different types of like mindsets, and where guys really struggle. Because I'm sure right away you're like, "Oh, this guy can only he's limited."
1: Yeah. So and Kyle's how- a great teacher of the game. So you want to talk first about Kyle. Kyle, Kyle and I I was lucky enough that Kyle was my first position coach, um, and taught me how to see the game like a quarterback. But more importantly, taught me what the con what the actual concept is trying to do right? This is not just a play. This is a play which comes from a concept. This concept comes from this West Coast structure. So here's the structure. This is the concept within that structure. And then this is the play within that concept, right? And so like, I was like, oh, I get it. So like, I get what we're trying to do here. And then he was the one who really taught me, okay, now don't forget, we had David Carr that first year. And a lot of it was Andre Johnson, and then Backside Goes
0: um so eric, mold loved loved that. That. eric mold's love <laughs> to be the backside of the andre johnson goat we will
1: be great. here two hours and we started telling eric mold stories but the uh so we didn't do a lot of like full field concepts but uh we did it first and then the playbook shrunk and shrunk as as as, as we saw um but the but kyle really taught us like what was going on with our five eligibles and where they were responsible, uh, what they were responsible for and how you have to be in an area. It doesn't have to be exactly how this thing is drawn out, but here's why you have to end up in this space is because this defender is responsible for this space. And he either goes here to get you, in which case we will replace him, or he stays there, in which case you will get the ball. So you don't have to run a route route. You don't run a route just to run a route. You run a route noticing who you're dragging with you. And so I was always like good at understanding like, okay, this guy's coming off me. Okay. Now it's my turn to get the ball. Or this guy's coming with me. I'm going to keep him with me and I'm going to get this guy open. And so like you started understanding that you started understanding first your concept with someone else. And then you start adding in like, okay, now who's also working with me. Okay. Is the back coming strong with me or is he going weak? Okay. Now it's just us two over here. And there's three over there. Okay, back's going middle. Obviously, we're not going to bring everything in the middle of the field so a quarterback can throw. He's, we're going to need to layer this in different areas. So, like, you just, like, you just start learning and putting it together. And the quicker you can do that, the quicker you can find a spot on the field. Because in – I forgot. I think it was Mark Bruner taught me. He said uh, – and he was my locker mate. And another thing that I was fortunate enough to have was, like, you would first think, like, oh, I got to win at my position. Like, I got I to gotta be the backup Z. And I remember Bruner's like, how you doing? I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I don't know why I'm not getting more reps here, blah, blah. He's like, you just got to get snaps anywhere on the field. It's all about snaps. He's like, you didn't have to play that game. You're a backup. You win the second string quarterback. You don't have to get on the field. Everybody else, you got to get snaps. You got to figure out how to be a punt returner, a kick returner, run down, kickoff. You got to figure, am I a backup Z, backup X, am I the zebra, whatever. It's all about snaps. If you can't get your butt on the field, you're, you're worthless. Uh every other position but the back of the quarterback, you gotta get snaps. And so like he's like, find find another spot, find another place to get a snap. And if all of a sudden you start re- realizing they're like, you know, you get 10, 15 snaps a game, you're doing all right.
0: Talking about Kyle's teaching of coverages, I thought that's what for me separated him where previous coaches like here's cover four and here's some of the nuances of cover four but kyle's just seemed deeper more in depth uh, uh more detailed and had like a, a better understanding of actually what the defense is being told did, did you feel that uh you know yeah. working with them compared to other coaches there were only with-
1: a couple guys that threw kyle for a loop troy paul malu bob sanders and a couple other guys safeties who would just blatantly break rules And we'd watch film, and he'd be like, Dave, tell me what Troy Palamal is responsible for here. And I'd be like, well, he's blitzing the A-gap. And they'd be like, he's responsible for deep half on this side of the field. And you're like, what? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, he's just assuming that there's no way that Sage is going to get backside uh, to throw this ball before he creates chaos. And he just says the corner, drift back there, don't let him. Don't let him do that. So there's a couple guys, Ed Reed was another one. And you could really only do that. A certain safeties had that kind of obviously freedom to do stuff like that. But what Kyle would do a really good job of, um, responsibilities are, um, uh, more defined, the closer you are to the ball. Right. And so like you can't, be a nose guard and be standing outside of the tackle. If your job is to be in that a gap, you can at most be like half a shade off, or maybe you're half a helmet off and you're going to swim and get over there. And so the closer you are to the ball, the, the, the more you have to be in position. And so like we're outside. And so you'd you'd always look in to see like who is, who is giving, giving the coverage away. And so there'd be a, you know, oftentimes in the slot, there'd be the nickel will would be the one that you're looking at. But if you actually look at like the mic or you look, even if you can look on the other side and see the Sam, you could start to see what those responsibilities are and put the puzzle together. So that's, mm. that's always where you start as you look in because corners can come in, come out, they can fake jam. They can even run cover. They could cover a deep third from a, from, from a jam position if they had to, you know, they can do all sorts of creative things. So you look out, but they're not, that's not going to tell you a lot. And so you look in and then you can kind of look up top and see the safeties. Are right, are these guys in concert or are they, are they not? And oftentimes if they're talking to each other and stuff, there's little subtle hits like, Hey, Kyle would be like, look how he's repositioning this guy. Like they're obviously working in concert. If they're in concert it can only be these two coverages. If they're not, he's going the other way. Like they're, they're you know what I mean? So you start learning the game within the game on defense, right? When you're in college, you're like, they're not moving around that much. They're not like trying to trick you. They're not really studying snap counts. They don't understand like what the quarterbacks, you know, they're not really analyzing you in the same way. And, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a, it's definitely professional is what I would say. And you have to step your game up in terms of understanding those nuances and how, how the, how they all work
0: together. As a as a slot receiver, how much did you think about leverage? Uh oh, that's all that mattered. That's all it is, right? That's, that that's really all it is. That's all that mattered.
1: Like I'll never forget when I, we were playing I used to hate preseason. Um, because you would get like a third and nine, two it's two man, definite two man coverage, and your nickel will would be head up and even a shade outside. And you're like, you're you're messed up. Like you're in the wrong spot, and now you're messing me up because I don't think, I don't, I know you don't know how badly positioned you are. Like, and that's where like if you have a veteran like yourself, where you can just kind of be like, Sage, I know I'm supposed to like lean him in and go out, but he's outside of me, so I'm just gonna like "Eh," and give me the ball now. Yeah, I'll I'll get you nine. And so like I used to hate preseason when even the the guy who you're going against didn't understand what he's supposed to do. Uh, I love the the preseason. I love you know, you know,
0: when those guys didn't know what they were doing. That's right. That's when I shined.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you can take advantage of them sometimes, but you got to yeah. make sure you got uh, to, you got you to gotta do it right. The, uh, um, but it leverages, leverages key. I mean, you're, you can outrun some people in the NFL. I, I rarely did that. Um, you can out strength, you can out, you know, move them physically. I wasn't really ever really doing that. Um, but like when you can use, when a play was called and you had, you had the lever, the pre-snap leverage, and you're going to have the post-snap, post-snap leverage. It felt like it it felt glorious. Uh, but a lot of times. You're only gonna get one of those two. You're either gonna get an easier release and you have to work at the top of the route, or you're gonna have you're gonna get a hard release and you're, and you're gonna get it easier at the top of the route. But every now and then you would get both, uh, and that always cool. feels nice.
0: Well, for our, for our listeners, I, I want uh, to sort of describe what you just said. When you have uh, the leverage pre snap and leverage post snap, right? So um, based off of your route. So here's an example, and generally in two high safety defenses, uh, on the inside guys, the tight end and this the slot receiver. Uh, the linebackers or nickel will that those positions have to be inside leverage because they're going to funnel you to the safeties that are over the top and outside or a corner who's out there who's not going anywhere. So you're you're, fun- you're funneling players to certain positions, all right? And 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 two high safeties or I'm sorry, one high safety. Uh, you're generally funneling everything to the middle safety in the middle of the field, or if there's some sort of man coverage, there's a not, there's a, a, a one extra player in the middle of the field who doesn't have anybody man to man basically yeah. does. Uh, so when, when you have say a, a, a hard breaking out route from the slot and you already have inside leverage because it's too high, there's a sweet spot in there between that outside linebacker and the corner. Yeah. And that's where it's generally a little bit easier uh, yeah. for for a receiver. What's hard is when they say, you got to break in and somehow get across the face of a guy who is inside leverage on you. Yeah. And yeah. usually if that's the case, the quarterback should be going somewhere else. Because yeah. by design, unless you make him uh, fail at doing his job, by being his leverage or being his technique, the, the play is not going to be successful. And you can't rely on players to constantly be the guy who is doing every he can to funnel you a certain way. Or are also okay. terrible, terrible. They won't be in the NFL. Right. So um, that is something I, I definitely learned from Kyle more than, more than other coaches. I, I was around real quickly, talk about the other coaches who ended up on that staff when you were um, with the Houston Texans, there was Mike McDaniel. Who was McDaniel okay, was our graduate was
1: a graduate assistant who just like you mentioned went to uh, went with who was who was our graduate assistant with receivers the first year quality control. quality control whatever same same thing and then um, went to when Kyle went to coach quarterbacks the next year he went with Kyle the quarterbacks and then Matt uh, Larry Kirksey came in and Matt Lafleur was the receivers quality control coach so those guys are both coaching. Robert Sala was on the defensive side of the ball. D'Amico is who we were drafting with in 2006. Um, and then we had – I mean, there was a couple others, right? There was uh, – well, that's LaFleur. Kyle LaFleur. Troy, Troy Calhoun. Troy Calhoun. Troy Calhoun, who's coach of the Air Force Falcons, was our first offense coordinator. That was
0: rough. Um, uh, Mike uh, Sherman. Sorry. Mike Sherman went to Texas A&M. Mike Sherman with uh, A&M. We had –
1: Who's on? De- I mean, defense. Wade, Wade, Wade was there my last year, but we had Frank Bush, who's an outside linebacker coach for the Falcons. He was our DC for a while. So we had, I mean, we had some, we had really good coaches. They're still either around in the league, still coaching ball. Obviously, a lot of young guys. I think the the thing that Coach Kubiak really had, especially on the offensive side of the ball, um, he was an amazing communicator, and he didn't bullshit. Like he cut me three times, and it was always like. Dave, here's the reason, like, it wasn't a long drawn out reason, Dave, here's the reason we're going this direction. Sorry, blah, blah. blah. And um, I was always like, okay, like, you know, you treat someone like a man, because at that point, you know, he knows I'm trying to pay for my life, and, and uh, hopefully the my in my future. And uh, he doesn't want to get in the way of that. And, and uh, he was pretty clear cut. That was the worst of times, but the best of times he was very very you know if you got a compliment from kub you know you're doing really well he didn't hand those out a lot um he was he he did a great job uh he always he always took the bullet for us which i thought he almost did too much like there were there were times when the players blatantly fucked it up like blatantly and he would be like he would go to the media and be like oh that was my fault you know i shouldn't have i should have never had him in that position uh in the first place it should have been done differently a quarter before blah blah, blah. and and we're like no like Dave Anderson took that off the face mask. That's why they lost the game.
0: Um the, yeah, uh, we, we lost the game like 31 to 10 one time. And we come in uh on Monday. Um, and he was like, listen, guys, straight up, you I, guys played hard, looking to tape. There's some good things out there. Uh, we got a lot of things to clean up. We got out coached. We got out coached in this game. That starts with me. I gotta do a better job communicating with our coordinators of what we're gonna need to win the game. And, you know, uh, he was, I mean, let's not forget that was his first time as a head coach. So he was
1: maturing too. Like none of us knew, I think we knew that like he was a great coach, but like he would probably be the first to tell us if you got him on the, the Rosenfels experience that like he, he was probably a much better coach in Denver and, and probably even in, in Baltimore when he got let go and that like what he was, what he was able to communicate, he picked and picked and his battles. And, and, uh, you know what I mean? A lot different. Cause as a head coach, like, you talk to these guys that are first year head coaches. You go from having a coordinator and a tight job description. Well, you go from a position coach, a very tight job description. Coordinator, little looser. Okay, we're putting together the plan. Now, as a head coach, you're a plan of the. You're putting the plan of the planners, and you're yeah. controlling the culture and you're communicating like it, you're. You know, and he wanted to call plays and stuff every now and then, and still get in that mix, and so like.
0: Well, yeah, so he was still uh, calling plays for at least the first year, or even two, I would say. I feel like this—the end of the second year, Kyle was having some influence. Third year for me, 2008, Kyle and him were were mixing of who was calling plays, yeah. and the a healthy uh, uh, thing there. Another thing I learned from Kubiak was when you become an NFL head coach, you leave a coordinator job, as he had done in Den from Denver, and you come down to be the the Houston Texans head coach you don't get to choose all the favorite coaches that you ever coached with over the course of the previous 20 years. It's not like, Oh, I worked with this guy in Denver. I really, he's like my favorite offensive line. Guy. <laughs> this guy worked with, if they're really good, they're they not going probably good. have jobs yeah. somewhere else. And yeah. then the team just let, let them go. And the NFL doesn't have that sort of fluidity of just allowing coaches to, to bounce around wherever they want. You're under contract under contract. And so you, when you're two and 14, not a lot of coaches are like, yeah, I'm gonna leave this job. Of, yeah, you know, I'm it. gonna jump from the
1: uh, from my playoff team here with uh, Tom Brady. I'm gonna go join the the Texans as the new offensive coordinator, coach a shitty offense. Yeah, that's yeah. not the that's not the case. Yeah, that's that's definitely an issue. Like, and people forget about that. I mean, that gets back to what we're talking about, Coach Lubick, right? You have good position head coaches really only goes their position coaches and coordinators, and when those guys are getting poached, you know you got a good staff. We had was, it was pretty obvious we had some good young coaches, but they were all really young coaches and getting their reps in. Like, like McDaniel wasn't ready to be a head coach when he was what? I think he's he's my he's 20, uh running around, uh, you know, holding clipboard and, and trying to tell tell Eric Molds what route to run. Like that's you been hanging crazy. out
0: the players sometimes. Mike yeah. hanging out with us.
1: <laughs> we won't we
0: won't throw any guys in our buses in case we need some um, uh What I find interesting about that Houston Texans staff. <clears throat> And I think the Texans are both sort of near and dear to both our hearts for various reasons. You were drafted by them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I played the most. I had twelve starts in my career. Ten were in Houston uh, over the there course of really two years. Um, and so you, you you want that team to be successful. Like we put our our heart into this thing of this terrible franchise in a sense, new franchise to new fans, new yeah. franchise, pretty new stadium, like four or five year old stadium. We're trying to get this thing going. It's sort of like you were again, like in the underdog colorado state sort of iowa state position and we put everything we had into it and you know looking back you know kubiak and i don't know 2012 maybe uh, gets let yeah. go and they did it's been a real rough you know 10 years for the most part i think they went the playoffs once with o'brien but the most part you know a top five pick in the nfl draft and you know a lot of times coaches or a lot of times owners gms don't really realize what they have on staff until it's all gone and you know after go of gary kubiak i mean all the play all the coaches that were there during his time are some of the best coaches in the national football league uh and they didn't have the wherewithal to to see that uh to see that kyle shanahan was a special coach to see that mike mcdaniel was a special coach matt LaFleur was a special coach um and now D'Amico ryan's finally after you know Get back into the mix yeah is, is back into the mix but also having coached with Kyle, uh, you know, yeah. these years, um, so that to me is sort of the almost like like it's a tragic uh, as a bit of a Texans fan still uh, that they just they 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 missed. You know that they've been, been out like they're chasing the ghost of Gary Kubiak's coaches, and I you know you're you're probably like me. I you thought you know Gary Kubiak is the type of guy that I like Mike Tomlin. I'd like to have him as my, my head coach. If I'm an NFL owner for 15 or 20 years and you're going to have good years and you're going to have some bad years and you got to find the right quarterback and you got to write the, have the right defense, but overall his stability, his um, consistency, his likability, I feel like he would have been one of those guys that Texans could have had this whole time and maybe it, you know, passed down when when he retires, uh, retired, you know, passed that down to one of his assistant coaches and they didn't do that and and they missed the boat on a lot of nfl wins a lot of playoff wins and of course some super appearances uh uh you know by by kyle shanahan and 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 those other coaches
1: it's it's really hard to get i mean we were like you said two and 14 before we got there i think we we lucked into six wins our rookie year like i Here's another thing about getting drafted in the NFL. You have no idea how good or bad you are. You just know all these players are the best players that you've ever played
0: with today. You're, 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 you're lining up across from Andre Johnson in this. year like, like I, cool. here I, I am. And there's Andre Johnson. In.
1: I remember watching him in Miami. Like, I what? Like, I'm I'm the greatest, right? And then you're like, oh, preseason, like these guys are good. And then I remember we did like preseason uh we practice against the Saints I was like this Drew Brees guys got it going on over there I don't think they've missed the ball in seven on seven and I was like ball hasn't hit the ground whole practice uh and like the you you don't realize how good or bad you are but it's so hard to go six and ten seven and nine even win that number of games and then get into the playoffs you get and then you're in the dance and it's a completely different uh situation like it's it's so hard to put together those wins. I have such a respect for those teams year in, year out, that get up there and stay up there. But you're exactly right. Like, I think I think I, I do have a – I certainly have a soft spot for the Texans. Always always want them to do good. I want to go back more. I want to be referenced as like a Houston Texan B-minus celebrity. Uh, that, that would be fun. Ambassador. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like the arrested
0: development of, of Houston Texans. Like, if, if you, know, you know, you know. Leave, uh like before, before, before we leave the Texans before we leave the by the way, I, I have to talk to you about I believe it was 2008. Uh I wasn't playing quarterback. I was doing my usual thing of being on the sidelines watching Shaw play. We're playing Cincinnati. I believe it's Cincinnati. Uh yeah. and I think we had I, I don't remember the exact call play. It was I feel like it was a play action to the left. David, you had a corner route, you yeah. were wide open. Matt. It was that.
1: um it was a bunch. Me, Owen, and Andre, typically Owen would run the corner. Kyle called it right. He said, we're gonna switch this. Our inside guy's gonna run the corner. Owen's gonna run the flat. Um, so follow him out to the, take your first couple steps out to the flat with Owen, watch them run with the, they'll both run with Owen and I'll just run into the corner and Andre went inside. So it was like, for the, the two guys on the inside went like this and I just ran to the corner and I was wide open. Uh, you're
0: talking about string dance and, so yeah, right. watching, yeah, string uh, dance. yeah. So I want to, so, so after you, after you score this touchdown, yes. Um, you do what I didn't know about at the time was the yes. string dance yes. talking about the string dance, uh, and where it came from.
1: The, I was, uh, I was kind of a latchkey kid growing up and I had a, uh, a, a TV in my room, my senior year of high school. And I used to watch Conan O'Brien all the time uh late night and he was by far my favorite and that was when he was uh after leno so i'm you know up till like 11 30 watching Cone o'brien my senior year of high school and um you know he's a goofy dude and always do and i always appreciate his sense of humor super sarcastic smart guy kind of like did the jokes for himself and one other person typically you know he wasn't trying to make everyone laugh and i always thought that was my humor is like i'm gonna make that guy laugh and uh, if everyone else gets it that's fine but as long as me and him are laughing he'll understand it's a joke and so I always appreciate that about Conan, and he had Donovan McNabb on one year, and he's uh, Donovan at that time was like, I don't know, up for the MVP or something like that, and had did something and maybe just lost in the NFC Championship game. I don't remember what it was exactly, but I remember being Donovan McNabb, and he's like, how could you know? It showed Donovan celebrating after a touchdown, and then Conan jumps up on the desk. He's like, you should do this. He starts doing the string dance where you kind of pull your hips up like this and pull it and then you cut it and it drops at the end. Can you stand up and show us on the- No, I'm stuck in the seat. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I was, and I was like, if I ever score a touchdown in the NFL and so I'm in high school, I was like, I'm going to do that dance. And then like fast forward two or three years later, I think he asked, I don't know if Don McNabb again, but if someone NFL player, and these, and they just laugh them off, they're like, never do it. I'm like, I, and now at that time I was in college, I was like, I got a chance. I'm going to get in the NFL and do it. And so, it wasn't, it was, you're right. It wasn't my rookie year 06 because I only had one catch for 27 yards. I don't even know if it was in my head at that time.
0: One catch, 27 yards. That is a, uh, that is an
1: <laughs> NFL record for 2006. I, uh, um, and, and it, believe me, I ask Kubiak all the time, explain to me how you throw me one ball off slant. I go for 27 yards and you decide to never throw me the ball again. Like I could, unless I took that thing to the
0: house, it couldn't have been any better. And you're like, nah, eh, that was okay. Like, why it's because we you were playing... trying to throw Andre the ball, and it was awesome. Why are we not feeding
1: me the pill? Like, let's get this thing, let's get this thing going. So, 2007, I don't, I don't think I had a touchdown. Either.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. Well, it says here, it says here, you had 12 catches, 131. Yeah, more. I didn't have
1: a touchdown in seven, and then 2008, finally scored my third year. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm a, well, no, the first touchdown I had was against Tennessee, and we were down 21 points, so I just handed the ball to the ref. Uh, and then the second touchdown was against Cincinnati score, do the dance. Now here's the fun part is at the time I was, uh, I was single. So I was, I was recruiting Sage. Uh, and, uh, there was one of my recruits was at the house with me. And, uh, I was, um, uh, I was like, you know, we should watch Conan O'Brien after the game on Sunday. I was like, it was Monday night. I was like, it was Monday. I was like, we should watch Conan O'Brien. I have a feeling he's going to say something about me. And so it was kind of one of those things where I did it, and I didn't tell anyone in the locker room. Like, watch Conan O'Brien. I it was like it was me. It was me and Conan's thing. If he Mm -hmm. caught it, then it was gonna be cool. And so, like, so then you know, Monday night comes around, and Conan O'Brien is like, you know, he finishes his monologue, and I thought he might mention the monologue. I was like, I didn't do it. And then he gets to his desk, he goes, "So I was watching football on uh, Sunday, and I was like." And uh, then he talked about, it. they put it on TV and he jumped up on his desk and he did it. And he's like, we got to get this guy on the show. And I, you know what? Like I, I've never, I've never spoken to him about it. So maybe we could send this to him. Like I, I wanted to, I feel like there's gotta be, I gotta be in the history books. as the only person that's ever done it in the NFL, but well, uh, that, that was fun. I always, always tell people jokingly, I was planning on drowning it out with a bunch of touchdown dances, Yes. but any. it was like very early on YouTube. It's the first one that got on there. It's It's got, obviously, the most views of, of all the things that I've uh, done in the NFL. And I was like, so, so he's, it's lived on, which is fun. It's a
0: cool little story. This ring, I believe I threw a touchdown pass for you on that game. We were down uh, uh, 21. Well, there's a game. Yeah, Tennessee, where we came all the way back. I threw four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Um, you were touchdown. I, I don't know if it was the first one or the second one of the four uh, as we made this comeback to take the lead or maybe the tie and then to lose the game at the end. But I believe your play uh, was um, like bunch right. There might've been some sort of like orbit motion by Kevin Walter or something like that. And it was, I believe two jet flanker drive zebra Texas or like two jet uh, flanker drive zebra Texas, something like that. Does that sound right? Zebra twist. You were too out, so out back a,
1: in. I went out and like and I just dropped, I just kind of fell back. Cause I was like, if you give it to me now, I'll just fall in the end zone. And he pumped it right into my chest and I fell back in the end zone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The 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 what people don't realize when you're when you're a quarterback, when you're about the five-yard line where we were, anything really inside the 10, anything that you throw in the front of the end zone, you want to throw it at their knees. Yeah. Like sort of the belly to their knees. So they can just yeah. curl up and get down and protect themselves. Yeah. The back of the end zone, you want to throw it high. Uh, so it doesn't get intercepted by a linebacker or something like that so no. that was we call you call those a second base or sort of like you're a second baseman and the guy's stealing second you want sure to sort of get down and protect yourself yep. uh, so that was I, I would definitely call uh, that touchdown pass I wish we would have had more uh, the, I love uh, uh, that
1: game you know I recovered two onside kicks that game
0: that's right can we talk about that game? Can we talk about the be a part of I want to talk about two Houston Texans games with you this game where it's going to be very positive about I heard the other one <laughs> and we'll talk about the other one. <laughs> give me your, give me your uh, you, you, two minutes here uh, on that game where we came back from Tennessee. We're playing Tennessee. Uh, We're down
1: 21 points
0: in the fourth quarter, I believe. Right we were down, uh, I think like 32 to five or 35. Yeah, We're down, we're down, five.
1: we're down like maybe 28 points, but it was 21, but we score halfway through the third quarter. So I think we're down 21 and we go into the fourth quarter down 21. We don't score on our first drive of the fourth quarter. And so I think there's only 10 minutes left in the game. We're down 21 points. Half of the stadium empties out. Um We kick a field goal or something like that. So now we're down like 18 or something uh onside kick we get it we score um onside kick again don't get it they go three and out punt it to us we go down and score so now we're down four i think um I think that's what it was, or we might have tied the game as I think in the end. But I remember how it ended. I don't know if they, they, they really kept, wanted, we, but...
0: we kept scoring touchdowns and they'd either go to three and or they would kick a field goal. We don't kick a field, field goal. So then, oh,
1: yeah, yeah. So then so, so then down. so they then kick a field goal. So now we're back down uh 14. We kick uh we get the ball, we go down and score. So now we're down seven, and then we kick. So now we're down seven, and there's like two minute No, there's like a minute. 28 left or something. We kick another onside kick. I get it again. We go down and score, and now there's, like, 48 seconds left. We scored pretty fast, I remember. And then we kick off normal tie game. Uh, they run it back to, like, the 38-yard line, and I remember both being like, fuck. And then uh, Vince Young scrambles for a first down at, like, the 50, and then uh, they run all go, and we two-man it, and then Vince Young drops back, and whoop, Fifty-yard scramble for a touchdown. They win the game with like eight seconds left. Um, He throws the ball in the end zone, and the half of the stadium that was there for Vince Young goes apeshit. And like the other half is the mo- I- I've never been so depressed in my life. We came back. That was so no 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 no. no. Here, no so here's, so a, here's,
0: here's what I love about here's what I love about the, your, your of you're you're telling the story. You you combine two different games. I know no, haven't. Yes, you have. You combine two different games. In this game, Kerry Collins was the quarterback. And Kerry Collins hit a back shoulder on the left-hand side on our sideline. It might have been versus two-man to get him to, like, the 15-yard line. And Rob Barone has kicked his eighth field goal to win the football game. A different game, I believe, maybe the year before the year after, uh, is when maybe the year before Vince Young's rookie year, 2006, is when Vince had a run of about 50 yards in overtime or 40 yards in overtime to beat us uh, and threw the ball in the stands, but half the stadium was there for Vincent. I love how you tell the story and it's two different games. I'm 100% positive. That's
1: embarrassing. I know the other one you want to tell us is the one,
0: the famous uh, Rosencopter. Yes, let's talk about that Rosencopter game. Uh, Talk about your, your thoughts and feelings on that one. So
1: it's one of those moments where Coach Kubiak took the blame. But it was pretty clear that your dumb ass should not have tried to jump over someone to try to make a play. But at the same time, I really appreciate what you were trying
0: to do. Um, So we're up 17? We're up 17. They score with about four and a half or five minutes left. They score uh, four, four and a half minutes left. We drive down. Now we're up 10. Now we're up, now 10. We're up 10. We go down they they, they, they on side we get it at get it. 45 50 yard line i
1: get it i ha- hand team anderson i get it we go uh we get a first down and then and it's like second and seven
0: i think it was third and seven uh i'm gonna say the play was like i left west fake 18 bob naked left you know y corner or something like that i believe but well, here comes game. sage About to
1: beat the Indianapolis Colts. We've never beaten them before. We're in field goal range. We're we're up 10. Uh, you come running around. I had a great view of it. And uh, here's what I don't know. We should go back and look. If you land... I don't know from where you jumped. If you land, you would have gotten the first down. I think you jumped pretty far away. But you you quickly realize you forget that you're in the NFL you're running and you think that I'm going to just kind of jump over this guy. Cause he's the only one I see. Yeah. And you, and as you go to leave the ground, not the most graceful, uh, it's, it kind of look like an awkward triple jump, you know, on the third one where you don't have as much oomph, <laughs> <You're> like one, <laughs> two, and then you kind of jump and you see your body torque like this, your neck go back and you're going, and then was it Gary Bracket hit you first? I, then, I,
0: believe I, I believe I jumped over Marlon Jackson, didn't really Jackson. get over him. I feel like my like knees, sort of lower legs, clipped his shoulder because he sort of was he went down low and then he sort of jumped up and then I was you know. And then Sage. I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was Bracket. I, I don't think it was it might have been Freeney or it might have been one of the other defensive linemen but it was two defensive linemen i believe
1: two defensive linemen but you didn't see the one coming from the inside you jumped and i remember all of us being like just slide just slide and we'll take off another 40 seconds and we'll kick a field goal we'll be up 13 all as well you you're going to fucking win the game right here right now you jump boom fly in the air ball goes flying in the air they pick it up they run it back all the way for a touchdown so now uh now we're up three yeah and there's two minutes left right yeah they kick they just kick it off normal to us because they have timeouts
0: we call a similar play we just called a pass play on like third and eight or something like that yeah third and eight and i scrambled and i was about od owen daniels was wide open and i'm like oh i'm gonna hit od and then i get stripped and they recover that fumble too. Then they recover that. Yeah. Then like, Reggie, Wayne, Reggie Wayne has a one-handed. Minute, minute
1: 20 left. And then Reggie Wayne has this one-handed back shoulder catch against Jacques Vaughn, which I was like, oh my God, for the game-winning touchdown.
0: And then another interception in the one-minute drill. We yeah. don't to and then, yeah, was, we're was, gonna talk about that one, but that was, uh, that was the
1: Rosencopter. That was very, that was, there are some very famous games where those happened. Because
0: we had never beaten the Colts up to that point. That yeah, been I call that the. Um, the highest and lowest point of my career
1: what what did you here's a question like you come to the sideline after that Mm. and you got to quickly get your shit together because they scored we're going to go back out there who who spoke to you Did kyle speak to you did anyone leave you alone and what is the i always figure this because because whenever you drop a punt right everyone feels the need to come up to you and tap you on the head or the back and tell you it's okay and stuff i'm just like leave me alone like i know i messed up it's evident everyone saw it right it's not like i was a backside block on a on a on a goal line play and whatever the d lineman sneaks through and tackles them my definitely the right guard's fault but no one's like saying hey chester pitts it's okay blah blah they're gonna look at it and film and they're gonna be like chester if you block this this is a touchdown uh, but like when it's one of those plays where you're the quarterback or punt return, it's wide open. I'm always like, why do people feel the need to say stuff? What, what happened there? I, I never, I never remember that.
0: I don't really remember what happened. I mean, plus that, that was like pre concussion protocol. So probably in a normal situation, <laughs> like now if someone get hit that hard uh and like drop what they're carrying. Right. I think there's probably would have been a concussion test. There wasn't at that time. Who I, was the backup
1: then?
0: Um, oh, I don't recall. Schaub started, well, no, Schaub was supposed to start that game. He's sick. And he got sick And yeah, we're 0-3 and I get a, you know, it's 8, 7.30 in the morning and I'm having breakfast and like, hey, Schaub's sick, you're probably going to start today. And I was like, excuse me? I haven't, you know, I've been running the scout team all week. We're playing the Colts. Great. We're 0-3. What a prime position, uh, you know, to put yourself in to be successful. Um, so really it like for, for, for 56 minutes played the best game of my life? Was I, Rex Grossman, I, the backup? No, I believe it was a uh, uh, Boyd, Shane Boyd. That's you know, right, it was Shane Boyd, uh, the quarterback, Kentucky quarterback. Um, so yeah, but I for 56 minutes, I probably played some of the best football of my career. Uh, Outdoing, I mean, we had a 17 point point lead on a healthy Peyton Manning, a very very good Colts team playing at home. I don't know what my completion percentage was and, you know, touchdown passes, but I had played really well. And and it was, you know, of course a tragic ending to to all of it. I don't recall what occurred on the side. I don't really recall the rest of the game. It's of course it's been, you know, it's been 15 years. So I don't really recall a lot of aspects of just after the game. I remember uh, doing the press conference, um, basically just taking as much blame as I could and then uh, went into the train room, and I laid there on the train room table for probably an hour and a half, wow. face down on the train room table. I didn't want to go out to the the family room. I, I'm sure I, I think I told my family to like go home, catch a ride home with the neighbors or whoever you know at the game. Um, I did not want to be seen. It was super depressing. Um, mm-hmm. Probably took me a long time to get over that mentally. I'm not sure if I ever really did. It was such a, such a sort of a tragic moment uh, and tragic game for me, uh, you know. But but um, that's the way the NFL was. And 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 that same sort of grit that you and I had at the smaller schools was the same reason I went for it. I had never in all those preseason games leading up to that uh, college football. I was never one to slide. I was never one to like play the conservative approach. I had to feel like. I I had myself yeah. Uh, um, proved and, and to try to get respect of my teammates and the guys that I was in the locker room with could like, you know, add value to myself that I wasn't just sort of some wussy backup quarterback. that's not doing anything that I was a guy that they wanted to root for. And so I think I had that mentality to, to always go for it in a, in a game of football. When you're unsure, right. When you're unsure, what do you do? You stick your head down and you just, you basically mm-hmm. are that, yeah. that, 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 that is. And, and I think, different than Peyton Manning or different from even like a, a Pat Mahomes who's had a million reps at it. When you're a backup quarterback, you don't have all those reps and yeah. you don't have all that your your, your mindset is different. Uh always yeah. to prove yourself. And so uh, yeah, I probably took off five, even six yards from the, from the last scrimmage thinking I, cause I had done that in Miami a couple of times. I had jumped over Copeland Miami a couple of times. I was like an early adapter of being an idiot and trying to go over the top. <laughs> Never had any bad consequences. If anything, I had a couple of good, like, I think I may have preseason touchdown a couple of Yeah. Other you games. know what? There's
1: an alternate world where you jump over that guy, go for 12 yards, land, give a really cool first down sign and start the rest of the season. Uh, string game. Yeah, like yeah. that. that that's interesting. You think about it like that, because I remember uh, we were, I was on I, my last year. I got um, I was on the Broncos. Well, not my last year, but one of my one of my last teams. I was trips. I was I was on the I was on the Broncos. This is 2012. This is Tebow and Orton Broncos, and I was vying for a roster spot. And I remember thinking to myself, like I gotta I gotta do something with this punt return if I really want to make this team. And I took it off the bottom of my face mask. I hadn't dropped a punt in tw- twenty years. Took it off the bottom, I bottom of my face mask. It was a new helmet I was wearing and nicked the bottom of my face mask, hit my forearms, popped up and uh, hit the ground, and then I just got blah blah. And luckily we re- we recovered it. So I didn't feel as bad as like how they recovered it. And it was preseason, so like no one really worries that much. But um I'm in my head, I was like well, I'm either never playing the NFL again, or uh, like, I'm certainly not playing for this team. So I know, I probably know that feeling kind of that you had there. Is There's it like a fine
0: line? There's a fine line. As as Nick Saban described to me one time, a football team is a bus. And sometimes you're in the front, sometimes you're in the middle, and sometimes you're in the back. Either way, he's driving the bus and he's in charge of who's on it and where they're all sitting. Yeah. And sort of like, listen, you, you, might be in the last seat on the bus be happier on it but you're also right by the exit door you're the first yeah. one off and when you're the fourth receiver the fifth receiver sixth receiver trying to be a trying to find add value to this oh, yeah. team, you will literally do anything and so you end up a lot of times pressing oh yeah uh, and trying to do something that's not natural or make make, make a bad decision because you want to make a big play uh, yeah. uh so badly it's, it's a really it's a tough place to be in uh pressure it's not
1: not a natural and to be honest it's not I think the biggest difference for me between the NFL and every other level was like the comfort. I was never really that comfortable in the NFL, uh, because of, because of what you just mentioned. Like I think there was that one year where I got paid where that spring, that spring ball, I was comfortable because like it was Dave was starting at zebra and then going into training camp. I even remember like them taking a rep or two from me and I was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. And I I immediately locked it back down and, and just kind of got rid of that like comfort level. Um, But yeah, I was never one of those guys who like, oh, yeah, I just signed a five year, $35 million deal. I'm going to be here for two at least. Like I can be comfortable and play like I played in high school and college. It just doesn't exist. It never existed for me in the NFL.
0: Talk about uh, before we get to your what you're currently doing. I want one last question about your career. Talk about the slot receiver. Yeah. Uh, Before I got you, I had Wes Welker, you know, the the slot of slot receivers when I was in Miami um, before he went to New England. Talk about that position uh and and what you thought of it you know there's there's all the positions in the football field but slot receiver is this interesting one because it's a lot of times not really a starter it's become a starter it becomes super important but in the the old days of football it was two running backs a tight end and two receivers uh and you know and then slowly it would be a, a two receivers two tight ends one running back and then it sort of has gone to way more and more one running back, one tight end, three receivers. Talking about that slot receiver uh, uh, and, and your view of it as as a player who played that position.
1: It's one of the, it can be one of the more dangerous positions on a football field when you're on the same page with your quarterback because kind of what stuff we mentioned before, where you and I understood the leverage, we understood the window, and I understood how ideally you were going to adjust your drop because. I was going to give him a little more at the top here. So you're going to hang on to it for half a second or, Hey, he's hanging all over for me. If you want me here, you're going to have to throw it early. Cause like, I'm going to turn and I can't run outside to get open. You got to give it to me now and put it low or something like that. Right? Like if you get on the same page with your quarterback and you're in the middle of that field, you can be dangerous. And you can just constantly, if you're lucky enough to be a first down player uh, in the slot, you can steal seven yards. You can steal 12 yards. You can steal four yards. You can do a quick swing and get six. Like those slot players when they're on the same page as the quarterback, because the ball can get out of your quarterback's hand so fast because you're in a, because you don't require, uh, enough, a, a ton of space, uh, but just enough to get, to get, get us yards and to get us in a good position and maybe break a tackle and you go for 22 yards or something like that. Like, a very dangerous position when you're on the same page with a quarterback and that means also being on the same page with your coordinator is that like they give you the leeway to do this stuff um when your slot position is running a lot of clearing for guys to come underneath then you're not really taking advantage of what a slot can do because to me um like a, a lot of coaches like doing that they like running this vertical game and like running people way over the top and you have to do that every once in a while, but that requires a different set of timing, a different amount of protection, a different type of arm from the quarterback. And and, uh, certainly you're open in a different place in the field.
0: Well, and usually you want a guy that's clearing out to be extremely fast. Yeah. You want him to scare the bejesus out of the safety. Yeah. You want him to back up really fast. And then the other guy comes in and gets it's clear here so now, but a lot of times yeah. slot receivers, aren't the burners. A lot of times no. they're, they're the quickness guys or the agility yeah. guys. They're the separation guys yeah. from those, from those underneath
1: players. And so if you have a quarterback and we were always kind of on the same page where you're like, yeah, this is a five step drop, but like, I'm going to Dave here, so I'm going to take three and then two is going to be a shuffle and I'm going to find a window. Because based on this two-man leverage, I know Dave's going to press in and break out and I'll just give it to him a little dart. Like, that's where you see Mahomes, like, hitting the Kelsey with those, you know, tied in a lot of ways to a slot. They're hitting yep. those guys with a little pass like this. You know, you're not traditional five, step up and then throw it. You know, you're, you're not you're not doing that. So, like, to me, the position, we were, you know, Kyle did a great job of utilizing slot. Um option routes where you have you and the quarterback just need to get in the same page of which way you're going to go are you looking at the defense and the and the leverage and and protection the same way as a quarterback they can be a, they can be pretty deadly um where they fall apart is if uh is if you just bring them in on third and seven in their small packages and i think that's that's uh what teams need to really you know and that's what the good offenses do they're committed to a type of offense you got to know what you're going to get like with Kyle, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a great slot player, but he manufactures that with motion. He does it with that number forty four. Debo can do it in different ways. Certainly has Kittle work in the middle of the field. They have guys like that. And then you look at like a guy um, like Hunter Renfro, like he has I want to say Adams clearing out the side next, clearing out the outside, and then he gets to work everything from basically seven to twelve yards. From the numbers to the outside or from the numbers to the to the middle of the field like that's plenty of room for a slot player so like you uh you got to find i mean it's like any position in sport really like you got to find the right coordinator coach coordinator quarterback and that all pairs up nicely and and you can do some powerful things but to me it's uh i mean nfl the game is a lot more like high school these are our studs These are where there's some mismatches and this is how we're and This is what we're going to try to do to get the ball in college. You can out scheme players. You can do something clever. You can do like whatever you can run nickel the whole game and stuff like that. You can't do that in the NFL. The players are just too good. The players are too fast. The coaches are too good. Like you're like, this is our best player. Like we're going to try to give him the ball in third and two. Like, this is what it's going to look like. You know what I mean? It's not, it's, Pretty simple in a long ways.
0: The one the one thing that I found very interesting about the slot receiver position when I was in Houston compared to the other teams that I was on was that of course you're again you're in the slot you're a couple yards from the the uh, either the tight end or the left tackle let's just say, but how Kubiak and Shanahan would involve you guys in the running game. Sure. Uh, you were so important on you know if you're just all spread there's that defensive end that's outside. Uh, your left tackle and his gap is the gap between the the left tackle and whatever's out, you know, whether it's a tight end there or a receiver. And so he would bring in guys like you, you know, 190 pounds, 185 pounds, and you're trying to cut off Dwight Freeney. You're yeah. trying to cut off Jared Allen. You're trying to yeah. cut off some of the best players in the National Football League. Yeah. And you could do it because all of the action looked just like the run. Yeah. And your job was to cut off just like as it was a run. And the Freenies and the Jared Allen's of the world were so concerned about their gap responsibility, because at the end of the day, football very much in the running game is all about gaps. Yeah. That, you know, I, I I'd be like, man, David's to my left there, and there's Jared Allen or or Freeny or whoever it might be. Um, and I'm gonna run a bootleg that way. And I'm hoping that Dave gets him, you know, slowed down or cut off or whatever, chops him down, you know, uh, cuts his knees out or whatever. And yeah. I come around there and there's plenty of room. Yeah, there's it? no one around and they fully have taken the bait. And here we are having our slot receiver yeah. blocking one of the best players on the other team, that, to me, is a huge advantage for an offense. Well, you, you mentioned the, fir-
1: the first part is has got to all look the same to do your to do your players a favor. Because if it looks awkward, players smell that out. And, yeah,
0: and there's no like way you can actually block
1: Dwight Franey. That would happen every now and then. Like, I have a good story I'll show you about the Raiders. But the uh, w- w- what you first mentioned was slow down was the key. I think that was the difference. I-, I told that story about Colorado State when I was playing against Wyoming. I was just, like, clearing people and blocking my, my face off. Like Kyle's like, this is the NFL. Arian Vosser knows he's got like a split second for you to block. And just like you mentioned, Jared Allen, Dwight Freeney here. Um, get your hat in front, get low. He's gonna knock you over. We understand that, but I just need this. You need this, Aaron needs this much space and he needs this amount of time. Like that's all he needs. Cause he's gonna have to put his foot in. He knows he has to go. Yeah. And, and the great coaches make Arian aware this is your situation, you, what you're working with over here, right? Like like if you're going to come back side, it's got to be a quick decision. If you're not, press front side because this guy's going to be chasing you after a split second because we don't, we're, you're not protected over here. And it's a risky decision by a, a play caller every now and then because every now and then it gets sniffed out and uh, your players your players will have to bail you out. And we always laugh about that. But like an example of where it backfired was I blocked Dwight Freeney really well and then Kyle put me in that position all the time. And so we're in a bunch set, and we're running T-pull, which for everyone is basically outside of the tackle. Everyone blocks down, and you pull the tackle. And in this case, I think we pulled a guard. They pull around it, and then you would toss it. And so it would be like down – it's a classic down-around play. Yeah. And uh, your point guy is supposed to block the D-end, and I was the point guy. So I was. we were playing the Raiders, and I was supposed to block Richard C, uh, Seymour, who – old reference is like six seven 320 pounds and like an old savvy vet and super old man strength strong hall of famer hall of famer and he just points at me and he goes t-pull 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 and i was like change the play change the play and andre johnson starts laughing <laughs> and andre's outside of me and owen's like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and he's saying that in my ear and i'm like i was like what because i had to hit richard but now richard was head up on me and i was like it's not my responsibility Martin." i'm just i'm just like don't leave him don't leave him don't leave him don't leave him and i'm like ah so now i have on like i'm not supposed to block him on head up but i was clearly supposed to block richard seymour when he was there but now he knows the play and at that point i'm like this is kyle's fault like this is this should be we should switch the play go the other direction or this is colin Schaub's fault but they didn't want to switch the play hike richard seymour literally picks me up and tries to run me into Andre Johnson, and I'm like backpedaling like this. Arian gets the toss, and I just I just go wimp and fall. And Arian gets like, you know, tries to make something out of nothing and gets like negative two yards. But I remember running back to the sideline, and Kyle going, "What?" The? And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's my fault. Yeah, I'm the I'm the one to blame there. Like that's uh, it put put me in a position to be successful. But you're right, it's it's about making the design, uh, in the and the play action, everything kind of feel the same, but. Yeah, I mean, we shared going for days about those Texan teams and whatnot. We were, we were, we, it wasn't from a lack of uh, creativity on that
0: offensive side. We, we had some, we had some very explosive plays and players. Our offense was a strength. I mean, we were, we didn't, we never had a, a, until Aaron got there, which was after me, we didn't have like a premier running back and we were usually top five in the NFL in offense. And, you know, Schaub led the NFL in offense one year, went to the Pro Bowl, was MVP of the Pro Bowl, led, led the NFL in passing. Um, and he wasn't, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers or, or Dan Marino by any means. Right. And so there was something special about that offense, which of course now we're seeing that thing is, course changed and gotten better and gotten more challenging for defenses. But a lot of those basics are still there when oh, yeah. you watch that, that the, the tight splits and some of the play action and some of the concepts are still there. Um, it's amazing to see where that has gone. And, um, what, 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 what also is amazing to see what what has gone on is you, what, what after you got done playing, yeah.
1: uh,
0: you went back to school, um, you went to the university of South Carolina, is that right? Different SC. The real oh, one. USC. First, USC, USC, excuse me. Um, and you got your master's. Uh, you got your MBA. Is yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you also took these courses that the NFL offers. They, You, you took a course. Stanford, uh,
1: Harvard, Wharton, Kellogg, all four.
0: All four. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then so that those are called the bm e programs. They're a little different now than when they used to be. They used to be like a full 10. They weren't quite two weeks, but I think it was like eight days. Fully immersive you go to the business school you're staying on campus uh they're bringing all the best teachers you know the different schools had different emphasis you know stanford was like entrepreneurship kellogg was marketing warden was finance and harvard was very
0: more general business yeah i did the wharton uh one was more finance real estate
1: yeah and so i did those and i was like you know i always told my mom going to colorado state i promised i'd go back to school so i went back to school and i finished got my mba at usc out here on the west coast um with emphasis on data analytics i was uh growing up my, my so my dad uh, was an engineer i was always kind of like uh a math whiz to a degree um i uh was you know took all the ap classes growing up used to do the kind of math competitions uh when i was in fifth sixth and seventh grade i took i don't know if they have Kumon out there but i learned math uh from a, a Kumon. is a korean um way that they teach math it's a little different in If for any kids interested in learning more about math, I would suggest doing that. But, um, and, uh, just, I got really good at it. I really kind of fell out of love with it when it started being about theory. Um, I don't know if you remember everything, anything about math, but there is like an approach to a problem and that's called math theory. And you have to prove out the theory less of just like answer the problem. What's nine times seven. It's more like, how do you get to this? And you have to like, you know, write it all out and do it numbers wise. I didn't like that stuff. So when I moved back to business school, I found oh, there's computers that do all this for you now. I don't have to do any of the theory. I just have to plug in data and I understand where it goes. And um, so I got pretty good at data science. Um, ended up uh, meeting a startup at uh, the at, at, uh, University of Southern California that started at their artificial intelligence uh, campus. Um, it was called Second Spectrum. Um, and they do all the tracking data in sports. So. Um, Kind of luck was have it. It paired up right when I was finishing football. Was when all of this GPS data, there's chips now on players' shoulder pads <clears throat> that um, tells you guys, tells people how fast they're moving, where they're moving, uh, and, and whatnot. If you um, want a simple explanation, geometry class, x y coordinate, sages 0.35, three five, I'm point 0.15, How far away are you? And you do that calculation. Um, and so that's that's what you do, but at 26 frames a second, um, and with 11 people on a football field, so it's it, it could get pretty fun, and complicated. And I, I just found that aspect really interesting, and in that I knew this was coming in sports. There, you know, Brad Pitt was just in Money Ball, and and all of the this was this was a wave coming. And should I get involved in that? And it seemed like a natural fit. It was my my way of being involved in the game without having to be a coach. Um, which is basically when you're done playing. Unfortunately, there's no senior tour for us football players. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go all in on analytics. And, and that's kind of been my life ever since.
0: So now, now you work with Breakaway Data. That's, yeah. your, uh, that's your company. Uh, it was named a uh, top 10 most innovative sports tech companies of uh, the Sports Business uh, 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 Journal. Yep. talking about breakaway data what your role is in it and really just what you guys do over there
1: well so after i left second spectrum I, I noticed that there was a huge gap in the industry and that a lot of this information was always given to teams and leagues um and was never delivered to the players the people actually supposed to put it into action um you know i think football players get a bad rap they think we're just a bunch of dumb jocks but in actuality we're probably the ones who incorporate numbers and analytics more than any other sport right we know coverages and third and seven and here's my formations and here's here's what i uh, should be looking for here's what i can ignore a first and ten, a certain play call certain things we do certain things you don't do based on where we're at in the field the time and whatnot baseball time is irrelevant maybe inning is somewhat relevant maybe the outs are somewhat relevant but you're pitching against me and if i hit it over the fence that's uh, that's the uh, that's the best outcome and it can happen anytime so while the baseballs of the world get a lot of credit for being Money ball forward I think football is is very uh is, is right for that opportunity so we started providing back all our, our thesis of breakaway was oh let's give the athletes back this information so we started from that perspective we signed deals with the NFLpa the players Association uh, that says all players are allowed back all this information um, that they get and so we started doing that for the NFLPA with WNBA um, we got uh, M- uh nws so we got all the all the major leagues um and in uh, professional sports and players associations agreeing that the players should be allowed their information um and then what we do is we package that up and we learn a lot from professional athletes and then we take those insights and we provide it to college and then now we're going to start providing that to high school and when you work with professional athletes you come to find out and i'd be curious your opinion on this is that good data good analytics of course if you're a pro it's high numbers or high velocities or whatever but what what it really is is consistency um and you and i know that better than anyone like if you want to make the field as a seventh rounder um you got to be on the field every day to start off with and you got to be reliable uh you got to be consistent in that like your quarterback knows where you're going to be you got consistent that you run the right play you got consistent that you're going to catch the ball you got consistent that you're going to get open Uh, it's really about being consistent. And to me, those are routines, those are habits. And so that's what really we teach younger kids through data and analytics is routines and habits. Because as a younger athlete, I didn't know what to do. I was just told get bigger and faster. And uh, if I would have listened explicitly to that, I would have been 220 pounds and maxed out my speed. But I slowly learned that it was about, you know, being a good receiver meant doing these things. It meant being able to get open. It meant learning the offense. It meant get on the same page as a quarterback. It meant uh, being fast. It meant sleeping well. It meant doing all these things that turned into routines that allowed me to be a professional. And that's really what we provide younger athletes.
0: Of all the, I mean, we all have regrets in our career um, of, of all types. Would that be a little bit of a regret for you? Not really regret, but like looking back, like I wish I would have had a better routine. I wish I would have had better habits. You know, you're you're a 23-year-old guy drafted in Houston, Texas, um, you know, with a big off season, a lot of free time, not like college where we you're going to class and you're much more restricted, plus you're in Fort Collins, not a, a big city like Houston. But yeah. talk about do you wish you would have had what you're using now? when you played sleep wow. parents, to be able to study how much you ran that day rather than just like, oh, I'm exhausted, but you don't even know how much you ran.
1: The sun, the, the, you know, everything has a flip side, your sun and the, and the moon to something like when you're 23 and you're playing in the NFL, you feel pretty like indestructible. You know, you know, everything you're getting paid millions of dollars. There's nothing anyone can tell you. Everyone's just out to get you because you're, you are the man you are on the top, you're on top. And the Smart people realize. I don't want to say the smart people realize. The lucky people realize that they there's still a lot to learn, and it is going to be really hard to stay on top. And if I want to do that, I, I need to start establishing habits and routines that don't n- knock me off the top of this mountain. Now, we didn't have the access to all of these body therapists, these specialized coaches. Whether it's a quarterback offseason quarterback coach or nutri- a personal nutritionist, your own masseuse. Um, your own, whatever, you know, physical therapist that helps you recover from injuries. stuff so, like that, that, that wasn't really in fad yet. Right. Tom Brady TV 12, I think was established in like 2012. Like he's probably doing a little bit on his own. I think he had Alex uh, on his own, but I remember seeing Alex uh, one off season. Like it wasn't a Tom Brady's guy yet. Um, and so like those things had not been established. I think those are common beliefs now and that how data and how this information can help you. And guys are, Applying that a little more, but oh my god, I I would have. Looking back, I should have been spending hundreds of thousands on my body um, and on my mind to stay sharp and and to stay ready because it's those incremental losses that end up adding up, right? Like tendonitis is what got me. Like tendonitis is completely avoidable, Um, and like all of a sudden I look at year seven and I'm like, I have no explosiveness left in my legs. My knees kill after every practice. Like I can't even finish. I can't even finish these routes, and I can't break down like I used to. It's because my IT bands were too tight, my hips and my ankles were, you know, had scar tissue all over them. And I should have been taking care of myself better in the offseason.
0: Do you think that players now it's just this there's this all this data, whether it's you or other companies, that they're they're actually seeing that, that performance, whether it's consistent or not consistent. And they're it's just sort of like it's just so much more available. And so you think a lot most players now are are using that data and, and mm-hmm. getting the help they need and not just like You know, you play until you're worn out and then you're done. That was sort of like how we we went about it.
1: Well, here's the truth. The teams are using it. Um, And so, you know, the league captures it and allows it. And the teams are capturing more and more of it and using it to optimize their rosters. They're using it to make decisions on cuts. They're using it to pay players more or less. They're using it to do a lot of things. So if the teams are using it, the players should pay attention to it is, is, is the real answer. Um, it, as many as I wish, no, not yet. I think still some players have the same attitude that I had when I was 23 years old. That like r- really can't really tell me anything. Uh, I just made seven million bucks last year. What? You, what? How? What are you gonna help me? Oh, you're gonna help me make four million when I'm 30? I'll talk to you when I'm 29. Is is what you know you'd probably say. So, um, like, that's uh, that that's that's the hard part about the industry. But I think that's that's coming down. I think data was also for dorks like myself uh, for a long time, but now. I mean, what's what's the first graph that you ever saw? Like, well, you know, you know, it's interesting. Iowa State. Did they teach it? Do they have graphs at Iowa State?
0: Yeah, we're engineering school. We (laughs) we love the graph.
1: Like a bar chart.
0: Uh, What's interesting for me is that football, its history, um, the attitude or the mindset had been, and I think that's changed drastically over the last ten or so years. Was they they relied on some stats, but not data. Uh, the data of you know they would just have player we we would just run summertime and in college man you just ran sprints there was no like precise exactly how much is best for us for our performance and for this or that it was just this is what we have on schedule today because this is what the book says of our off-season program and you're going to run this much and if somebody uh, leans over, doesn't touch a line, we're just going to add some more to it. Yeah, yeah. No impact on uh, or no no uh, thought on how much that's impacting all those uh, all the other athletes who are tapped out and yeah. not, not may end up having an issue uh, because of overuse. And it's it, it is amazing to me that just data in general. I mean, we all know the internet. And Google, also known as like Skynet, you know, that nah. there's just so much data nowadays, but it's so powerful. Uh, data well, I mean, can be used in so many ways and to use it as an athlete just gives you a, a huge advantage uh, over doing nothing. And, you know, it's something I regret, but I, I think at the time also, I never made those those big numbers. And so, you know, yeah, maybe I get a massage every two months. I probably should be getting that like every week, you know, like y- your body is your business in the yeah. national football league. And I think I was always like, mm, I don't want to spend too much on my body yeah. uh, uh, because that's just, it's expensive, you know, yeah. tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, I remember meeting a guy one time and he was like Dwight Freeney's uh, chiropractor and Dwight would fly him around all these away games and he'd show up and give him the chiro before the game and uh, the night before and probably after the game. And it was like his whole, manager of his physical self and I'm like I've got the team trainer who probably doesn't have my best interest in, at heart yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah. you know, and the strength coaches who are doing their best but there yeah. wasn't that uh individualized expertise um of of me and also probably you know emotionally on top of it uh, I mean if,
1: if if I'm an owner
0: like if I'm the Texans
1: right now and I own this I mean I have I probably there's no reason not to have 20 physical trainers like everyone should have costs you more than anything is losing guys. Like, like how often do we were like, man, if we would have had so-and-so all year, we would have been great. Like if we would have had so like, and a lot of times, I don't want to say they're all preventable. Some, Cause sometimes they're not, whatever. It's like a, you know, broken something here or there, or a complete accident. But a lot of times like, Oh, you know, Andre Johnson, you know, hurt his hamstring for three games and then we had to do this. And it's like, hamstring? Why are we, like, why do we have hamstring issues? Like, that's a joke. Um, And, like, so, like, I think teams of, teams and certainly players have smartened up and, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta take care of my body and, and I gotta get used to that. Like, I also think it's, like, data exposes um the good and the bad. Um, It also doesn't have an opinion or it doesn't have a soul. So, like, you have to realize, and it doesn't, a lot of times, it only has what context you provide. It. So, it doesn't know that, like, you know, Dad was in stands, and that's why you hit the home run or whatever. You know what I
0: mean? Well, like data, data doesn't discriminate. It, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah. So like someone's like uh preconceived view of that player, however they look, big, tall, small, whatever it might be. I have a preconceived thought when I just look at this person, where data actually goes, Well, this person, whatever their size and stature, and where they are off the field and however yeah. they talk or whatever it is, he gets separation he gets separation and that is extremely important just sort of like in money balls days is he gets walked. So the first person
1: person to ever make me aware of that was Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel was Kyle's uh, QC, like we were mentioned. And I had uh, for players who had over a certain number of catches. So you had to qualify. You had to have over 40 catches, I think. And I had uh, my third year, I had like 47 or something. I remember it was a certain number of catches and uh i had the highest catch percentage of anyone in the nfl if he threw the ball to me i would catch it it was like 87 some absurd number like the next play the next, they were all slot i think doug baldwin was like second place with like 67 and i'll never forget like uh Shab, we were playing the dolphins and like you were mentioning uh in the red zone he buries two balls at my feet because and i'm like what's going to me because <laughs> i didn't want to mess with my percentage but like mcdaniel was the first one to be like hey like this is almost too high we need to throw you the ball more like this is absurd that like you have this number of catches and we've only we've only thrown the ball you 55 what it that would be like 55 times and you've got 47 catches like eight eight non-catches like that happens to some guys in the game like and that was over the course of like a, you know 12 games in the season or something like that so mike mcdaniel was the first to kind of point it out and that like it exposes things and highlights things, but you get back to training and just think about how dumb some of the stuff was back in the day and how smart it's got. Like, yeah, we used to run all the way around the field, 12 of those. And if anyone went on a knee, you'd run an extra one. And I remember to ask my weight coach, I was like, why do we run this far? Like I've never ran around the football field in my entire life. Uh, the longest I ran was a 72. I had a 72 yard catch. Like I understand running hundreds. I get that running all the way around, like, like, why we do that? That's never asked, uh, that we, our, our bodies will never be asked that in the game. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like why I would do that, especially not as like a consistent workout. Like maybe if that's what you do once, that's fine. But like, that was a, you know, you either run, you know, run corner to corner or you run all the way around, like we were doing those types of things, And I'm like, this is silly. And I think just data information exposes what's the right way to get, your players in shape, to keep them in shape, to keep them healthy, to keep them, put them in the right position. I mean, it, data should always, and the players and coaches and teams and leagues should always be about, let's put players in the best position for success. And if you start from that thesis, you you, you will find that like you're doing a good, you'll do a good job, even by accident. It's when people start to get too creative with the data and they think that's going to get them to the solution. It's like, are you putting your player in the best position for success? And if you're not, why is he consistently not in that position? Is it because of play calls? Is it because of his own doing? Is it because of the defense? Is it because of management and coaches? Or maybe the league doesn't allow that type of play, but like, that's
0: that's what you really are looking for. Do you feel like there's a wide variety uh, in in the NFL of teams that use the data the most and the best? Uh, I know I I saw the uh, Eagles head coach, Sirianni, uh, praise one time in a press conference his data and analytics team. Uh, I know they're not the same, but he basically praised the nerds in the building of how much they they help in, in their decision making. And Are there some teams that don't use it nearly uh, as much or effectively or un- don't understand to use. I'm sure in college football, it's all over the map.
1: It's all, all over the map in college. It's, I don't want to say all over the map in the pros, but it's as close as you can with 32 teams. There are some teams that widely adopt it and talk about it. There are teams like the Patriots who widely adopt it and don't talk about it. Um, there are uh, teams that uh, talk about it, but don't do anything. Uh, an, always a tell sign is if they use the analytics if you use the analytics you don't know what the hell you are the talking about uh if you use if if you know it it should be a part of your culture something that is seamless and incorporated It, it should fit the style of ball that your players can do and what you what you have uh if if you're using data to drive too much of the decision and you aren't listening to sage on the field doing a play call saying hey I know we like to go for it on fourth and three here on the on the fifty, but my left tackle's busted and like you know whatever my tight end is is, is fucking concussed. Like let's not let's just punt. Let's just I remember, punt.
0: I remember when I, w- I was in LA uh, after our careers over, and you were working uh, for your previous company and trying to figure out uh, some things. But we were one time you were describing sure what you guys did, and, and one of the, like one of the things was like in the NBA. When someone shoots a basketball, how far are they from someone else when they shoot that basketball? And then of course the percentages of it that goes in versus misses. But you know, who makes the contested shots and, and who's the guy who just sort of hangs out in the corner? And there's a there's a wide variety in the difference as to your your three point shooting percentage. Is, is 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 uh one guy's might be 40 percent and the other guy is 38 but the 38 percent guy way better shooter it's Steph curry who's like creating all the action the other yeah guy, uh, my man george yang who just stand in the corner thank you and i'm just going to l- upload this nice you know three ball so
1: i said so this this is like the thing we was talking about so like it's a measure of space every sport about is about creating or taking away space and the example you're using is someone who uh There's a clear difference between someone who is a good shooter and someone who shoots good shots. And they might have the exact same shooting percentage in the end, but a good shooter can shoot whether he's contested or not. Someone who takes good shots is just always shooting wide-open threes. And they both, just like you said, they might have wildly different shooting percentage, but if Dave Anderson is just waiting in the corner for his shot, okay, blah, blah, here it is, boom, boom, and I hit 40% of them, that's pretty good. But if like, yeah, Steph Curry's yinging
0: and yanging out there, woo, fade away, whack, hitting threes. Well, it's the value of the player. The one player is sort of interchangeable. You can go yeah. out and around the league yeah. and find this guy who plays this role where he's not a creator and his job is to play some defense, but to hit those open threes. And the other guy is a guy like Steph Curry or whoever that's the creator. And the value there is vastly different, even though at any end of the day, they might make the, the same amount of three point shots. And only, and data will help you there in sports
1: where there are more, the more people, the more moving parts, it's harder to find that. And I, and I always find that interesting about football in that a lot of people think general managers and stuff. They think certain players are easily replaced because they make it look easy. And it was the play call that got Debo Samuel open half this time. All of a sudden you put in another guy and call the same play and it never works. And you're like, and you just you come to find out that it was that it had has a lot to do with that player and what he's able to do and train it takes a good a highly trained eye to see that and i always thought bill belichick is probably the best in the nfl still to this day at understanding um the difference between a, a player who can do that and the play call right like uh, you know there are certain players who are just they're they're not getting the right chance. The play call is kind of screwing them. Bring them in here, New England, run these type of plays for him. Like he'll, he'll kill it. Look, look at the <clears> form. and yeah. then they, and they do that. And, and that's
0: just, you know how, he knew, he knew and knows how to use players' talents.
1: Yeah. Because, he puts
0: and gets back to putting the player in a position
1: to be successful. Like it's, it sounds silly, but it is really hard to do because when you got 11 players and one play call and one ball, um, it's hard to it's hard to find a fit for everybody in a certain play because sometimes you got to put Dave Anderson on Dwight Freeney and pray to the good Lord that he doesn't come off the edge and spend, uh, spin uh, spin spin Sage Rosenfa- Rosenhammer around.
0: Well, that's where, that's where it takes the, 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 the right call, because on the right type of design of the call, it gives you an advantage to then where you can actually block him. If it's you're just dropping back and you're blocking him, that's the wrong call. So, yeah, yes. the, the design of the coordinate of the creativity and the understanding uh, is such a big impact of the NFL. Um, day we've been on for quite the time. And um, i enjoyed right, in I, day joy, I joy seeing you uh, at the Super Bowl per usual. Next time I'm in what, Manhattan Beach. Manhattan Beach, come on down. Free drinks it's on a Dave. Free drinks on listening. Dave. Everybody else. Um, I, I sincerely do appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. Is there a website or anything? Yeah, at BreakawayData,
1: um, breakawaydata.com. Um, uh, you can email me, shit, Dave at breakawaydata.com if you really got any questions. I'm about educating athletes on their information and the data out there pro college high school if you're a parent of a child and you're wondering how they can get better um look us up hit us up on all the all the twitter and internet boxes um we're we're there um you know i'm just i'm passionate about helping athletes get better i love sports it gave me the career that i have um i uh not crazy enough to be a coach but this is as close as i'll get
0: well dave i appreciate you having me on i'm guessing the data says that uh, if I uh, don't work out uh, rarely and that my workouts are like 30 minutes of uh, a few push-ups and some sit-ups that I'm not going to be the same athlete as I was when I was uh, 25 years old. I, I,
1: I would, I would suggest doing some, something a little explosive every now and then, okay. but as in the words, uh, in the words of John uh, our are one of our offensive line coaches, flexibility and a healthy
0: colon sage. Those are the keys to life. Enough, enough of your consternation. All right, uh, um, uh, we got to go. Uh, Dave Anderson, thanks for coming on. Breakawaydata.com. Dave at Breakawaydata.com is his email. Uh, I really do appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'll be seeing you soon. Later, Saves. Thanks, man. Right, thanks, Dave. Iowa everywhere.